Let's join together in prayer as we come to God's word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for speaking to us. You're not a God who remains silent, but you're a God who wants to communicate and tell us wonderful things that we should know and act upon. And especially we thank you for these chapters of the book of Revelation that we'll be exploring together these next number of weeks. Grant to us wisdom, Lord. We need that. We need to hear your voice speaking above all other voices. And we pray that you might bless us and refresh us and renew us as a church as we hear the Lord Jesus address the church and call it to action. So help us now for his sake. Amen. Well, this morning we're beginning a fairly defined journey, a limited one, into the book of Revelation. Defined and limited in the sense we're not going to look at the whole book, which would take many, many months, perhaps a year, but the first three chapters for reasons we'll see as we examine the text together. You might like to have Revelation chapter 1 open. And to start that journey, I'd like to tell you about a man named Philip Spenner, who led a church renewal movement in Germany many centuries ago. A few days before he died in 1705, he gave this instruction to his family. During my life, he said, I've sufficiently lamented the condition of the church. Now that I'm about to enter the church triumphant, I wish to be buried in a white coffin as a sign that I'm dying in the hope of a better church on earth. Now, it's not the white coffin that gets my interest in that story, but the reason that he chose a white coffin. He hoped for a better church on earth. Do you hope for a better church on earth? Maybe you do, but what you hope for in terms of better, well, that's up for debate, isn't it? In these opening chapters of the book of Revelation, even though they come to us from the pen of the Apostle John, they come in a greater sense from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, who was also hoping for a better church on earth. See, in these chapters that we're going to be looking at, we're going to meet a series of churches that could certainly have been better. In Jesus' estimation of them, we find that some of them were at various stages of life. Some were smug, some were complacent, Some were materialistic, some were orthodox, but dead. They're hardly examples we wish to follow, are they? Especially so when we look around at the church today and we see a general departure from the word of God and we remember that despite some good signs, hasn't been that long since the Royal Commission into abuse in the church, has tainted every denomination and the name of our Saviour. 
Yes, there's a sense that we should all be praying for and hoping for a better church on earth. And hopefully what you'll see as we go through this series, as we spend time in Revelation 1 today and next week and then move to chapters 2 and 3, that what you'll see is that if there is any hope of a better church on earth, it all begins with a new vision, a fresh vision, a fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. He's the one who calls the shots and he is the one who has created this thing we call the church. So this morning we're going to turn with John to see what John saw. And next week we'll turn with John to hear what John heard and ask two very simple, straightforward questions in these next two weeks. The first is this morning's, what did John see? And from that, how is the church to view her Lord? And then the second question we'll think about next week. What does, did John hear? And how does the Lord view his church? How do we see him? How does he see us? I'll give you three headings this morning upon which our first question how do we see him, can be understood. First, these verses tell us about Jesus who speaks and wants to be known. This is quite the reverse of what people usually think about the book of Revelation. They put it in a basket of something that's too hard to understand, even cryptic, impossible, hard to crack, can't get anything out of it, if anything at all. But like so many Bible books, the key to it is actually under the mat at the front door. It's not hard to find. It's there in the very first verse of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word there for revelation is the word apocalypse. It's a word you've heard before. Apocalypse Now, the movie. End of the world apocalypse scenarios. Well, that word apocalypse just simply means an unveiling. If I was to open that box this morning, it would be an unveiling, a revelation of what's inside. And that's what the book is and that's what the book's about. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's a lifting of the veil to see him in his glory. Is this important? Well, of course it is. See, we tend to run into difficulty when we don't look at Jesus, don't we? So what I want you to do during these next number of weeks is to turn your eyes upon Jesus, as the hymn says, and hear the words of Jesus. This is not going to be a series with charts and theories about the end of the world or anything like that because this is not what this book is about. The book is about Jesus and this Jesus speaks 
And this Jesus has something to say and he has something to say because he wants to be known. And he wants to be known where? In his church. He speaks to reveal himself and his will. And because he does that, we should listen to what he has to say because he speaks as one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. And he speaks as one who is the first and the last, the living one, the one who died and behold is alive forevermore, who has in his hands the keys of death and Hades. Isn't that enough reason for us to be hanging out to hear what he has to say? It should be, because your whole eternity depends upon hearing what he has to say. Second, let's note from these verses that we should view Jesus as the same, but not the same. He's the same, but not the same. I wonder if I mention the name Rip Van Winkle, how many of you will know the story It's probably there in your mind somewhere, but given that it's probably ages since you've heard the name, I'll fill in some details. The story of Rip Van Winkle was written by Washington Irving in 1819, and it concerns a man who fell asleep for 20 years. Now, for some of you, that might sound ideal. For some of you, that might sound like a long nightmare. But anyway, he slept for 20 years at the time when America was about to have their war of independence. So when he fell asleep, America was still a British colony and King George of England was the ruling monarch. But when he woke up 20 years later, there was another George in charge, a man by the name of George Washington. The one who'd been asleep didn't know this, of course, And so when he woke up and he went on and on out in the world and the community about the greatness of George, the king, the wrong George, he got himself into all kinds of trouble. Now I sometimes wonder whether we're not in danger of making the same mistake when it comes to the Lord Jesus Look what John says there in verse 17. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now remember, this is John. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the John who leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper in the upper room. And now he falls at his feet as though dead, so in fear of him. See, things have changed since the upper room, haven't they? Things have moved on. John is much older, of course, but it's Jesus that has changed the most. He's still the same Jesus that John knew while he was on earth, but the things between them are not the same, are they? A lot has happened since John last met Jesus. The cross has happened. The resurrection has happened. The ascension has happened. John doesn't turn to see the meek and mild Galilean teacher with nowhere to lay his head. 
Things have changed and Jesus is the same, but he's not the same. Earthly weakness is gone. Heavenly glory is evident and apparent. John has gone from being a free man beloved by the Lord to being a prisoner beloved by the Lord awaiting death while Jesus is totally free having passed through death and is the firstborn of the dead. Such is the contrast. Such a shock for John. And such a shock for us if we were to meet him as he is and not as we think he is. That makes me wonder, do you worship him as he is? Have you got the right Jesus in mind when you hear his words? The one who was here as a man and who continues to be a man but at the same time has always been and will always be God. The one whose hands bear the marks of the cross, but as yet now those marks are glorified. The one who no longer is one from whom men must hide their faces, but the one that all must bow before. Have you got Jesus the right Jesus, the living one, who was dead and is alive forevermore. Third, let's note from these verses that the church should view Jesus as one we must behold with awe. Why so? Because John records for us here a word picture of the risen Jesus. A word picture of the risen Jesus. It has to be that because even now we're still not able to take in the way in which Jesus is revealed or unveiled in these verses. This is a word picture we are given. Keep that in mind, a word picture. No photographs were taken of who and what John saw. No artist could ever paint what John saw here in the first chapter of Revelation even though some have tried. You can't just put this down on canvas or portray it with any sense of accuracy or the gravity it deserves by making a movie out of it. And neither should you try to. There was an American evangelist of American, Afro-American heritage by the name of Tom Skinner who died in 1994, age 52. When Tom was growing up in Harlem, he decided he was definitely not going to become a Christian because every picture that he ever saw of Jesus was a weak white man. He wrote about this, I don't know much about this guy Jesus but I knew he wouldn't last an hour in my neighbourhood. See when you paint or draw a picture of Jesus and put it into a child's story Bible or when you make a movie you have to choose the colour of your skin. You have to choose whether he's going to look weak like a victim of injustice, which might be true, or like a coming conquering king, which is also true. But it's still only one part of the truth about Jesus. How can you accurately portray every aspect of the truth about Jesus in one picture? Impossible. 
You can't do it accurately. Try as you might. You can only capture it in words, in pictures. And so it's picture words, word pictures that are given. And those words tell us that his countenance was like the sun shining in its fullest strength. And his voice like the sound of many waters. This is the Jesus with whom we all have to do. Now this is the Jesus we meet when we come under the sound of his word. He's not one to be cozied up to. No longer the pale Galilean that he was. But instead this towering majestic figure who is alive from the dead, never to die again, is moving around his churches, walking amongst the lampstands, speaking to the churches of the first century, and now all over again through the words that John heard and recorded that Jesus spoke. So then from this word picture, which gives us this description of the glorious majesty of Jesus, let's look at the details. Let's start from the perspective of the outside working in. From the outside working in. See, the first and the last items that are mentioned in the word picture are the head and the face. So let's begin with those. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow, says verse 14. His face, verse 16, was like the sun shining in full strength. What do we glean from that? Well, we glean that this is the one mentioned in the book of Daniel that we read about this morning. Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. It's Old Testament prophetic imagery and it's a key to understanding the book of Revelation. So much of what we find puzzling to us is actually already there in the prophets of the Old Testament. And so in the book of Daniel, we are told in chapter 7 that the Son of Man comes on the clouds of glory to the Ancient of Days, to God the Father. And his clothing is as white as snow and his head is white like wool and he's given authority over all the nations. This is unmistakably the same person. The Son of Man in Daniel 7 is the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1. But see this too, in verse 7 of this chapter, John writes of Jesus, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Now we usually, usually take that to a reference to his second coming, don't we? And it could be, well, a reference to that. But in Daniel's vision, the Son of Man is not coming down, but going up. He's not descending, but he's ascending. He's going up into the heavens. Not coming down from the heavens. In Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man is coming through the clouds to God, the Ancient of Days. And so if this Jesus, if this is Jesus, and if that's the meaning of the vision, and if Jesus is Daniel's Son of Man who has gone through the clouds to the Ancient of Days, then it must be as Jesus himself told us after his resurrection... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he's now at the right hand of God calling all the nations to himself. That's the message that the book of Revelation says must soon take place. All authority 
has been given to him. And that's what's happening right now in our world. Let's get that perspective on the world. Even though the nations conspire and the rulers of the world conspire against the Lord and his anointed, as Psalm 2 tells us, even then, when we get to the end of the book, it's no secret how it all ends. Nothing and no one in all creation, not even Satan himself, is able to thwart or upset the plans of the Son of Man who is at the right-hand side of God the Father. Then again, working from the outside in, notice the eyes and the mouth, which come next in this word picture. Sight and sound are the chief organs of communication. And so it's his eyes and his voice that get attention here. His eyes are like blazing fire and this description surely makes us wonder if there is anything that he does not or cannot see. And verse 16, from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword reminding us that the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with who, to whom we must give account. This is the Jesus that we must deal with. This is the Jesus who demands full surrender and obedience because he sees to the heart. This is the Jesus we encounter when we come together and the word of God is opened. Sometimes you might think the preacher must have been told something about you. He's just relaying what he's heard on. But let me assure you that's not how it happens. The eyes of Jesus are like a blazing fire and he knows how to take his word and use it like a surgeon's scalpel to cut into you. And we need that, don't we? We don't need nice little comfortable motivational talks that make us go on our way and make us have a happy day. We need preaching that will cut into us and convict us and point us to this one who has the two-edged sword coming from his mouth and his eyes of fire that look into your soul. We need this. Then after seeing his head and his face and his eyes and his mouth, notice his feet and his hands. The third and the fifth items. His feet in verse 15 like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. That is to say that like his hair they were white and glowing as if hot, white hot. In his right hand he holds seven stars. This all speaks of stability and power. This is no earthly ruler who has feet of clay. This is not one whose kingdom is weak but it's one who holds stars in his hands, holds them and controls them. The stars don't control us by the way. 
But Jesus controls them and he does them digitally. That is, by the digits of his fingers. That's what digitally means, doesn't it? Actually, right down in verse 20, we're told that these seven stars are actually the angels of the seven churches to whom Jesus is about to speak and John is about to write. It's not clear whether the angels referred to are angels as we understand them, spirit beings, or if they're human beings, because the term angels just means messengers. So it's either messengers with wings or messengers without wings. Whichever they are, the angels of the seven churches are in the hands of Jesus. That's the point. He holds them in his hand. They are instruments to do his will, angels or men, spirit beings or human beings. And then there's the final picture. We've come right around, we're working our way to the centre and in the centre there's a voice. Right in the smack bang centre there's a voice, a voice like the sound of many waters There's something awesome, there's something commanding about the sound, something overwhelming, something that demands our attention. Think of ocean roaring, think of waterfall. Paul heard that voice, didn't he? Out there on the Damascus Road, so intent on doing his own will until he saw the blinding light of the face of Jesus and he heard the voice which set him on a different road altogether. He was cast down, the voice of Jesus, the voice of many waters. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. Probably some of you have. One explorer in 1751 wrote this. All the gentlemen with me agreed that the furthest one can hear it is 15 leagues calculates in our terms to 45 kilometres. Hear the voice of Jesus. It's a loud voice. It's a clear voice. And it's surely an indictment on our churches that we can come and sit under the word of God and not hear the voice of Jesus and leave without the kind of response that shows we've heard the voice of Jesus speaking to us. Let's not fail to hear his voice. As Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Well, I feel in some ways we've only really just touched the surface of Revelation chapter 1. And that's why we'll come back to it again next week with another question. But before we leave, what do we have before us? We have a vision, don't we? A clear picture of the risen, ascended and glorious Jesus before us. He's not how he was. He's not a babe lying in a manger. He's not a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He's not an outcast or reject dying on a cross. He's not an embalmed body buried in a tomb. We have a picture of him as he is. As he is now. 
this moment, this hour, this day. And if John's response to this Jesus is any indication of how you should respond to him, then you know what to do. I don't know where I heard this quote, but I'll finish with it. It said something like this, if the Queen should walk into the room, we would all rise and we would all bow or curtsy. But if it was the Lord Jesus who entered this room, we would all be on our faces as though he were dead. Catch a vision of how great the Lord of the church is. Catch a vision of how he wants to speak to his church and he does that through his word what did john see how should the church view her lord john saw jesus the living one who once was dead and is alive forevermore he saw jesus as he is not as he was but as he is and still is, the one before whom we all need to bow the knee. We must do that because if we do not, we'll be lost forever. Will you do that? Will you join me? Let's pray. We bring thanks to you, Heavenly Father, for this portion of Scripture that we've fed ourselves on today and enjoyed enjoyed preparing this message and I pray that people have enjoyed listening because it's brought us to see the reality of you, our God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the person of your Son in particular who is glorified We sang earlier, Jesus, the name high over all, in earth or sky and sea. And how true the hymn writer was when he captured the name of Jesus being the great name above all. We bring thanks to you for him who loved us and gave himself for us and is now seated at your right hand in glory and majesty, who speaks and speaks to the church, that we might go and speak to the world. We remember that he was given all authority in heaven and on earth, and therefore he said, Go, make disciples of all nations. Help us to respond well to him and with thanks, with praise and with awe. We pray in his name. Amen.